fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in a popular film franchise, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries X23 about Fox's X-Men films. We will fully spoil today's film, but we'll try not to spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, a little tired, but I feel uh, rejuvenated by oh, the movie we just watched. Fantastic. Kelly, how are you doing? I, I don't know how to answer that. There's a lot going on in my mind. I'm also tired, but I don't feel as rejuvenated. I don't know. I'm hype on life. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm very nervous right now. <laughs> okay, well, I, I have not fully introduced you to the audience yet, so let me do that while you mull over what your feelings might be. <laughs> I'm Tonight. really well. I need a therapist probably at some point. Okay, well you can let that you let us let us no. be that. Let this no, be that no. for you right I now. Wouldn't say that. Let let us talking about this movie take the place of what that would be. Okay. Yeah. In your life. That seems healthy. Right now. Before that, let Who me are introduce you. Talking you. To, huh? I'm, today. <laughs> Surely it's just us in the room. Today we are honored to have a special guest. She is an actress prop mistress, and musical theater encyclopedia, perhaps best known to our audience for The Hound and the Furry, a stream of consciousness podcast about Disney's foxiest daddies. It is Kelly Lee. Hi, guys. What's up? Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So excited and very nervous. I don't need to be okay, nervous. There's absolutely no need to be nervous. I but- do want to let you guys know you are um, fulfilling a lifelong dream of mine that uh, is to be a guest on a podcast. Whoa. And by lifelong, I mean I went through my Twitter because I remember I tweeted about it when I really like realized. Um, and so it's been about a year and a half that this dream has been. But, wow. you know, lifelong. Your to, whole life. I'm sure somebody out there was born the day I tweeted that. So... Not me. I'm. We're happy. To have, I'm really just happy. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be the last time. Yeah, I would. I would love to come again. We'll see how this goes. All right. Yes. So, Kelly. Yes. Are you experienced? What is your future future past um, X Men experience? Oh, yes. So I've seen very few of these films. I've seen Logan, uh, which we just watched. I've seen it before. I've seen Deadpool, unfortunately, and I've seen like two of the movies with Jennifer Lawrence in them. I could not tell you what they're called. Days of Future Past. Yes. Like 15 times in the movie theater. Damn. Big fan? I was 16. My brother worked in a movie theater and I could see it for free and I was really bored. So I watched it a lot. That's my experience with this. All right. Fantastic. (laughs) Today we're talking about the Logan film from 2017 this is a movie that is basically about logan going on a road trip with an old and aging charles xavier who looks like he kind of has dementia and uh is about to go crazy and vaporize all of the rest of humanity he's already killed off a lot of the mutants it seems like giving away huge spoilers we don't learn that until in the movie but whatever they go on a road trip to save this young girl mutant to get her across the border into canada where presumably mutants can be free, they do it. And Wolverine dies, famously. The character who can't die, dies. 
Um, that is what this movie is about. Wait, kicking it over to you for quick stats on this film. Yes, they're a little longer than usual for this, so I okay. apologize in advance. But no. there was more going on with this movie than normally was. Uh, this film was directed by James Mangold, who is back four years after The Wolverine, the only director other than Brian Singer to ever come back to the franchise. It is a brave man. written by, uh, in order, James Mangold, Scott Frank, who was his co-writer on The Wolverine, uh, and Michael Green, who I'm just going to read you his credited screenplays because when I tell you this is all over the place, this man. Uh, his first film was Green Lantern. Presumably he got that gig for the same reason Mark Webb got The Amazing Spider-Man. Then he writes Logan, Alien Covenant, what? Blade Runner 2049, what? Murder on the Orient Express, what? The <laughs> Call of the Wild, <laughs> Death on the Nile and Jungle Cruise, is, which is forthcoming. That's coming next pres- year. But presumably. that's the um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt based on the Disney theme park ride. Oh, sweet! But like the highs and lows of there, like starting with Green Lantern and then your next movie being Logan, that's and then wild. also in there writing that horrible CGI Harrison Ford Call of the Wild movie. Damn, that is truly wild. I'm shocked. I think it might be the movie that finally convinced uh, Harrison Ford to go back to Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Harrison Ford doing another Indiana Jones? He is, in fact, doing another Indiana Jones. What? <laughs> he is also doing another Indiana Jones directed by James Mangold, the man who made this movie. Incredible. The first Indiana Jones not to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Can um, he still do stuff? He's he will Steven be... Spielberg? No. <laughs> he will be 80 living. years old when the movie is filmed. Harrison Ford? Yes. Okay, the music is by Marco Batrami, who also did the score for The Wolverine. The music in this is indelible. One of my favorite parts. I agree. Like, blown away by the score on this viewing. There was, like, this... Can I talk about this now? Yeah. yeah. There was, like, this scene where they're, like, escaping the... I don't know what that was, Water Tower. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, this, like, gnarly piano music. And I was, mm-hmm. like, insane. Insane. So good. Yeah, the twinkling of the keys and all the action yeah. sequences. So good. Uh, it runs two hours and 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. One of the longer ones in the franchise. We felt it. I, yeah, yeah, I felt it. Had a budget of $127 million, which is more than double the budget they gave to the last R-rated movie, Deadpool. Damn. So you see the success of it reflected here. It needed to make $254 million to break even. Mm-hmm. It made $619 million. Damn. It was, at the time of release, the third highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. It is now the sixth highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. And it is the fourth highest grossing movie in the series. Uh, It has a 77 on Metacritic, making it the highest reviewed movie in the entire series. Topping Days of Future Past 75. Mm -hmm. It is generally regarded as one of the best superhero movies ever made. It was selected by the National Board of Review to be one of 10 films in the year 2017 to be preserved. They select 10 films every year. I have the list here if you'd like to hear them. Yes, I'd love to hear what other films. The Post, Baby Driver, Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Downsizing, which is the weird one on this list for me, Dunkirk, The Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, Logan, Phantom Thread. 
Ooh, a pretty Ooh. huge year for cinema. Ooh, Phantom yeah. Thread off of that really list. coming in, and Lady Bird and Get Out are like those would be my three off there that I'm like, yeah, those yeah. kick ass. Baby call Driver. me by your name. Yeah, call me by your name. So <sighs> Baby Driver's been tainted. So many bad people in that movie. No, it's good still. It just sucks that we have terrible people. Uh, it was nom- This movie was nominated at the Oscars for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm. It was the first superhero movie ever to be ad- nominated for any sort of writing award. Okay. It lost to Call Me By Your Name. And talking about the script, I'd like to read a selection here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was posted by James Mangold from his screenplay a year before to prep for the movie. This is the first page of the screenplay, his introduction, which I think puts us in his mindset and shows really what they were going for. It reads, Now might be a good time to talk about the fights described in the next 100 or so pages. Basically, if you're on the make for a hyper-choreographed, gravity-defying, city-block-destroying CG this ain't your movie. In this flick, people will get hurt or killed when falls on them. They will get just as hurt or just as killed if they get hit with something big and heavy, like, say, a car. Should anyone in our story have the misfortune to fall off a roof or out a window, they won't bounce. They will die. As for our hero, well, he's older now, and it's clear his abilities aren't what they once were. He's fading on the inside, and his diminished healing factor keeps him in a constant state of chronic pain. Hence, booze as a painkiller. So by all means, go ahead and worry about him. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. That's how the screenplay starts. I mean, we see that from the like very first <laughs> yeah. 20 I've... seconds of the movie. Yeah. This film was released March 3rd, 2017. Emmett, what other movies came out in 2017? Okay. What are let, we looking at? Let me... Other than th- that list is really interesting. I think that's probably a better representation of the year overall. Movies, top grossing movies of 2017. Number one, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, which is still the best film in the entire Star Wars whatever, I think. Second, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, oh no. The live action Beauty and the Beast. We hate, we hate. Number three, The Fate of the Furious, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is Fast and the Furious number eight, if people counting at home. Yes, it is the eight. The eight of the Furious. Okay. Is it the most recent one? Because there was one supposed no, to be coming out. No, Hobbs and Shaw get yes. like they get ramped up in one. I don't know. I th- think okay. that's that comes yeah. after. Despicable Me three. Wow, never seen it. Anyone seen it? No, no. Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, which presumably is a sequel. Um, uh, it's a sequel to the Robin Williams film. I haven't seen that Jumanji movie, but I've heard by all accounts that it's very good. Um, Spider Man: Homecoming. Mm. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, a really good one. Another superhero, I think, genre-defying classic this year. I I agree. Wolf Warrior 2. Anyone ever heard of it? I've never heard of (laughs) that. A a Chinese movie? Yeah, this is like a Chinese action movie from the the off-the-world-wide list, and I think it's the first time that a non-American or non-British movie was like like broke that top ten like that. Yeah. Um, It looks pretty crazy, so that's cool. Guardians 2. Ooh. I loved that movie. Thor Ragnarok. Ooh. This so is a good. wild year. This is a good year for superhero movies. And Wonder Woman. Oh, wow. yeah. 
wow, really? So many. Yeah, a lot of. It's like five of, of those are superhero movies, aren't they? Yeah, Wonder Woman, Ragnarok, Guardians, Homecoming, Wolf Warrior, Spider Man. Well, uh, I think that will probably be the case for many of the adjourning years, but I yeah. don't think they will be of that high quality amongst the ones on that list yeah. in all of those years. Yeah, this is a weird list to me, and I and I would like to continue with the uh, Oscars, but I. I like think there's something that ties all these movies together. I really do. And I think mm-hmm. it has so much to do with the movie that we just watched, too. So the, the winner of Best Picture this year is a little movie called The Shape of Water. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. I didn't ever watch it. Nor did I. No? Okay. This movie is Mr. Del Toro at his like weirdest, finest, his like most ornate. Mm. But it's not interesting. That's that's my that's my like opinion. That's like on it. usually Oscar winning movies. Yeah, well, that's mm. that's fair. Uh, but he wins for best director too. We have Gary Oldman in a little film winning for best actor called Arrakisar. Uh, Wade, you've seen it? No, my eyes are rolling back into that. <laughs> okay. I've talked to you about this a lot with you. Yeah, roll. Please speak on this for a second. I just think that. Well, it's not an original thought that best acting always means most acting. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that it is the Oscars will always give it if they can to a performance they can judge. Mm. Because if someone is playing a real person, then they can watch the performance against videos of the real person and say how good of acting they did. Yes. That's like historically like a thing though. Yeah. Right? Like that yeah. you you're way more likely to win for like a biopic than you yeah. are for like an original story. Renee Zellweger for Judy last year, a movie yeah. nobody saw. No one saw it, but they knew I that kn- she looked yeah. exactly like but her. But they watched both clips and they said she did the best acting <laughs> of the year. Oh and it's God. like if someone creates a character, then they're in the dark. Then how can you even judge that? So it's just all about the shoulder bones, I guess. Uh, interesting you say that because the winner of Best Actress <laughs> this year is a woman named Frances McDormand mm. who wins for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I wow. Another big movie that wasn't on any of the lists we've read so far, which is wild. A, a crazy movie. Sam Rockwell also won Best Supporting for that, mm. uh, which I think mm-hmm. bears mentioning. He's truly a really good actor. He's so good. Interestingly, also this year, just this is the last one I have about this year, is Split, the movie Split, uh, the James oh. McAvoy uh, vehicle, uh-huh. yeah. is the most profitable in terms of investment versus return. Uh, yeah, because so I th- I don't want to speak out of turn. I think that's Blumhouse. But mm-hmm. you know they made that for like $4 million. Right, and then they made boatload of money with. Yeah. I mean Jack James McAvoy carries that movie on his back. Yeah. Literally oh, at some point. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk about shoulder bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that brings us back around <laughs> to the movie that we just watched and a little question that we like to ask here. Yes. Called Kelly. Yes. Logan. Flop or Bop? I say a Bop. Okay. Watched it. I remember really liking it. I saw it in theaters and I remember coming out and being like that was a good movie. And then I just have never wanted to watch it since and i don't didn't really (laughs) i'm like halfway stealing this from wade because you put it in my mind earlier but i didn't i don't know i just like never chose to see it again and then i saw it again i was like wow i'm going to choose to never see that again also uh it is still good i think i just have no desire to sit through that again wait this movie the best movie in the x-men series according to everyone online flop or bop it's a bop. I have 
almost identical feelings to Kelly. We saw this at the same screening and my thought on it was like the moving making in it is great, but I never want to watch it again. Mm. That's not an uncommon reaction I have to movies, especially movies that are like this horrible, mm. uh, emotionally, not just even just talking about the violence, yeah. but more like the emotional toll of this movie. I felt this way about the, um, most recent star is born to mm-hmm. like all the, just like movies that punish you for watching them. <laughs> I will be like, it does the thing excellently. I don't want to have to live through it again. I think that this time I liked it even more than the first time. Okay. Like the first time I had a lot of thoughts about it. Uh-huh. I really liked it, but I also thought that it was a little bit, I thought that it was mostly dealing with violence. Mm-hmm. Like my thoughts of it were mostly tied to the shock of the violence. And this time I think I saw a lot deeper levels into it. I think there's a lot to dig into here. I would have never guessed this going into this rewatch. Never in a million years. But I do think it is, for my opinion, the best movie in the X-Men series. Uh, Emmett, Logan, flop or bop? Flop. I There, I said it. This movie, for me, it is beautiful. It looks really pretty. Mm-hmm. It's like two three good scenes away from convincing you that it's a like a serious film but i don't think it ever goes anywhere with any of its allusions to like other things it's a movie that's really trying to be about something without anything to be about and i think that that is a thing that happens in a lot of these movies over the this list they're like movies that want you to think they're serious movies so they say things seriously but like if you unpack what they're talking about they're not like talking about anything and there's no discernible like statement from all of the like inherent parts of it like what is shape of water about what is this movie about family Legacy. much like another movie in this list the fate of the furious <laughs> about oh, family how does it how does that work uh there you like obviously it's a parallel between like uh charles and logan and then logan and laura and like just kind of like this kind of resentment grudge to each other for most of it but then kind of like realizing like you're all i got you're but like in like a sweet way not in like a you're all like you know what i'm saying like it is they do like each other they just have so much trauma happening all the time and are like just have been like abused by so many different things so it's like hard to like find joy but then you realize like you are like clinging on to this like family ideal i mean like logan and laura are actually like kind of father daughter even though i mean like kind of not his choice but by the end emotionally father yeah and daughter, for sure absolutely. emotionally and i mean like and same with uh charles and Logan, parenthood, family is something not necessarily blood related, but is can be just like bonds. You can make your family. Yeah, I think this movie is very similar to King Lear in that it's about people whose like greatest adventures have already happened. Mm. Like if you think about all of these movies we watched, Mm -hmm. like the scale and the scope of this movie is so much of a smaller adventure than the ones we've That's seen these true. characters go on. That's like, true. this is in no way their greatest adventure. This right. is just the last one. Fair. It's like the one that wraps it up. Like, I was so struck by the fact that at the end of their lives, Wolverine and the professor were each other's defining relationships. Like, that hit me so hard emotionally mm. with how much we've seen 
Charles be defined by Eric. Mm-hmm. And that, like, here at the end, it was Wolverine who has defined so much of this franchise. I mean, Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. playing this part for 17 years. Yeah. And then it was them who were, like, each other's most emotional relationship. And I think the mm-hmm. stuff they play with each other is incredible. It's sort of about, yeah, that he is, like, taking care of his father but he doesn't really have anyone who is like looking after him Mm, and then mm -hmm. his daughter starts to take over that role and he like finally gets that feeling at the end i had forgotten like his last line in this movie but it hit me yeah so hard where he just like yeah this is what it feels like and even just like watching them together in the final fight like so much of this movie is physical yeah in terms of both action and like physical acting like Mm-hmm. I would say 80% of the acting in this is done physically from all sure. of the actors. <laughs> yeah. And like the way their bodies move in motion at the end, just like symbolizing the bond between them is incredible. It is so gorgeous to look at. At the beginning, I was like, I don't know, this because the reputation of this movie is so huge mm-hmm. that for the first like 10 minutes, I was kind of like, well, you know, it doesn't look that different than The Wolverine. Uh-huh. Like it's still a movie, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, once it gets going and you just see like how they use the landscape and how they mm-hmm. use the frame composition. He also shot, they shot this in color, but he made it so that it would work in black and white. Oh, interesting. And they released a uh, version of it uh, into theaters called sure. Logan Noir. Oh, I feel like that came out movie. in theaters and is now available on home release too. Hmm. And I think you can see that a lot in what he's done with it too. I had written in my notes, we're talking about landscape. I wrote mm-hmm. desert grimy superhero Western dream, which is how I feel about this movie. I love the like, yeah, the Western, like the dirt, like that red dirt dust. Like I want to like put on my cowboy boots and like listen to, some good like harmonica music what do we think about increased god talk in the x-men franchise a lot more about god and religion in this movie Hmm. what did what all did we get i didn't notice it i don't know but i have it written down a couple of times when they go to like the family's house yeah there's like that prayer i don't know i can't think of a time i feel like there's a couple before that who's like what'd you do get religion and it's like this stuff where it's like, oh, that would make sense if this tied into anything about religion, but it doesn't. Yeah. So what are you bringing it? Like, why are you bringing this in? Certainly a lot less than an X2. I think this right. movie is really like playing with some ideas about class in a super interesting way, which is right tied into that. Mm. Like the fact that we see that truck drivers and farmers have been annihilated. Uh, like yeah. this is a movie that is talking yeah. about the annihilation of the lower class. Okay. And when we see like the separation at the border, uh-huh. like this is such a realistic depiction of 2029. Uh, yeah. Fair. Wait, is that the, I was going to, I had yeah. it down. What year was 2029? It's said in 2029. The only unrealistic thing to me is that the headphones had cords. Because things are just slightly pushed, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, the border could get that crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you, we're literally seeing, you know, like, sterilization of women at the border, and we were seeing forced births of these mutants with women and the women dying. So I felt like that was, like, so topical to today. Yeah. And just, yeah. like, the horrible things that are happening, actually, today. And in nine years, I mean, who knows? How do we feel about the fact that this is 
a world where it seems like the X-Men comics exist. I was super excited by it, and I've got a lot of info about it. Okay. Well, it, first of all, it's explicitly a reference to Unforgiven, which is sort of the big inspiration of this movie. Uh-huh. Unforgiven is uh, a film starring Clint Eastwood, who was... Um, one of the famous Western actors, the Man with mm-hmm. No Name trilogy. And he came back in the 90s to do Unforgiven, which was made like 20 years after the rest of these movies. And it was very, very violent and like bleak, dark Western. But it was okay. one of his best performances. And in it, there's uh, he is like a hero from the actual West who has grown up and is seeing people create fictional adventures of Billy the Kid. Oh, I and see. Butch Cassidy and stuff like that. Like those books that exist in our world are in there as like fictional mm-hmm. interpretations of the character. So that's where it comes from. The detail in there, which I think is really cool, is that they're made to look like the Bronze Age of comics, which is the comics from the 70s. Uh-huh. So it would have lined up to how old the, the comics in this world have been around for about 10 years within the world of the movies. So they would be in their Bronze Age of comics which is how old the the X-Men were in real life when they were 10 years. Oh, weird. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, Am yeah, I explaining yeah. that? Yeah, that makes sense. Correctly? I think that stuff is really cool. They're also all um, original. Like, they're not real issues. Oh, Nothing is anything that really exists in, this, in our world. Okay. They're all made for the movie, but they're made in the style of it. It hit me a little bit, which I never expected, when he sees Rogue on the page. Mm -hmm. And we're reminded of his relationship with Rogue from the first one. Yeah, I did notice that. That's cool. There's lots of it making reference to other stuff, including this this long kind of intertwinement with the movie Shane. Yeah. um, Which is a 50s cowboy movie uh, where this guy is working as a ranch hand on a farm and the farmers are being driven out by the big business guy Mm. from back east probably like the farmhand goes into town but of course the farmhand's really like an old gun you know he ends up saving the town essentially and killing a bunch of people but doing it for like the right reasons to save the farmers and to save the people and there's a kid and the kid at the end you know we saw the scene on the tv of the him and the kid at the end um and he tells the kid that like you know like if you kill someone that stays with you like whether you did it for the right reasons or not Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And of course, uh, Wolverine will later say the exact same yeah. thing to, to his kid. There's interestingly some controversy at the end of that movie of whether the main character lives or dies, oh, uh, which there's distinctly not in this movie. No, <laughs> uh, no questions on that one. <laughs> well, here's some interesting stuff about that. Okay, Jackman announced in 2015 that this was going to be his last film, mm-hmm. and then Ryan Reynolds kept trying to get him to come back. Like, uh-huh. prior to this movie coming out, like, kept trying to get him to come back to do, like, a Deadpool Wolverine movie. Yeah. Um, and Jackman was like, I'll only come back if I'm in the MCU. Like, if I can be with those other characters <laughs> that um, are so cool, do some of those comic relationships that Wolverine yeah. has, presumably be in uh, different hands than Brian Singer. Yeah. <laughs> come back famously and perhaps tragically after this movie came out they sell x-men to disney and now the x-men are going to be in the mcu right and so there were a lot of people asking like how do you feel like are are you going to come back for that Mm -hmm. and he said that he was really upset when he heard that it happened after he was gone but he did think that his ship had sailed yeah i feel like that's like a a wise statement although sad for him Mm -hmm. i feel like maybe it is like time to put away the claws 
I don't think he would get a better send-off than this movie. I no, agree. that's for sure. I agree. I yeah. think we also need to talk about, in talking about his performance, the fact that he is playing dual roles. Okay, yeah. that's, that's true. Which is really easily forgotten, but he also is so good as X-24. He is really The good. Like, evil young twin of him. That's true. His yeah. physicality is so different in it. Uh, he fights more like old Wolverine. He looks completely different. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because we hear we heard like the apocalypse thing that they wanted to yeah. show him as like the feral Wolverine. Yeah. I don't really think you see him use that physicality in that movie. But like as X twenty four, he did, like he's always hunched over and just like lunging at people yeah. all the time. I feel like his muscles even look different. Like the way, like just the way they were shaped, which I don't, I don't work out. At- so I don't know if that's like a thing you can do. <laughs> uh, we'll have to find somebody who works out and ask them. <laughs> and also, like, it's such an old effect, whatever. It's the parent trap effect. Uh-huh. So, like, we're used to it. Sure. But, like, the fact that he's in dual scenes with himself, presumably that were shot, like, long time apart for him to change that physicality and it all looks so convincing. Yeah. Like, never for a second does it look hokey. That's true. Because I was thinking about Jackman in this. But in some of it, I was like, like his commitment to the role is what's so impressive, Mm -hmm. you know, and his physicality that he brings to the role. But he never gets like the Oscar speech. No, he does not. No. You know, like they never give him like with words, the big emotional moments. And I was pissed about that because there's that moment where he has the moment where it should be, where he's buried the professor. And Mm. that's like the moment when he should like. I think it would be like out of character in this movie i just feel like he's so damn tired the whole time yeah he's like and he's dying you don't have time to make these grandiose speeches i feel like he's already like a man of few words it is like so sad to see him being just like this limo driver driving around like a bunch of like bachelorette parties and like dumb like frat boys like chanting usa it just like is so sad it's just like i mean i feel, I feel like that's a sad character arc for anyone especially like someone who is like so powerful like he is for sure i think there's uh talking about metatextuality with this Mm -hmm. i think there's some interesting stuff to be said for its uh relationship to a film by friend of the pod martin scorsese um taxi driver you know martin scorsese yeah he's a huge friend of the pod we're gonna get him on as soon as we start start doing some some movies that he'd be interested okay. in. I gotta text him back. He keeps asking me to do Venom. I say, no, we can't do it yet. But he keeps telling me. He yeah. says, wait, I love the scene with the lobsters where Tom Hardy sits in a lobster tank in the 2018 Sony Pictures film Venom. And he I says, say, sorry, Marty. <laughs> Not today. He says, now Does- that's what I call cinema. That's the thing that Tom Hardy does in the 2018 film Venom oh. by Sony Pictures. Lest we forget, we are sponsored by Sony Pictures. <laughs> also, Sony the Get Quip toothbrush. Please get get Quip. Lest we forget, as we talk about all these Fox movies, things could be worse. <laughs> Sony Pictures. Wait, I feel like there was like a Sony branding in the thing. I thought there were like a couple of like product placements. Some product placement. When he first walks into like, they're like rusted down home you can't see anything it's like nothing and then there's just like with this very bright canister of oxyclean and there's like everything else is like gray and i'm just and i didn't know why it was there and then there was the clearly a sony phone used i don't know if that's product placement but i thought that was interesting 
It probably is. There was also the Apple iPod and the Apple uh, headphones oh. that the son uses yeah. at the house. Did you know that uh, Apple will not let people in movies, uh, characters in movies, use their products if they're uh, the villain? Really? This is a little Hollywood tip. Ooh, interesting. That if you ever see someone using like an android in a movie, it could be because of that reason. Uh-huh. A character in the film knives out. Only one character uses an android, which is a little tip of the hat to which oh. character may be uh, less moral than the others. Oh, That's just like real life. <laughs> we all have Apple products here. <laughs> Oh, you were saying something about Taxi Driver, but I cut you off. Oh, so sorry. Oh, I have nothing to say about Taxi Driver other than that it kind (laughs) of reminds me of this movie purely because at the beginning of this movie, Logan drives a taxi. That's also getting into some of the, like, interesting uh, class stuff that I think this movie is playing in. That part is, uh, yeah, yeah, because he's driving around the rich kids. I just, like, cannot get out of my head the shot of, like, the frat boys at the top yelling USA is, like, the police yeah. are holding all of the immigrants back at the borderline. Yeah. That's... Where he's just, like, driving them around. That's, like, the most so sick because I think it would happen so easily. Like, I feel like I know guys who would do that. You know, just, like, it's so easily seen today is that people just have this, like, nationalism and just, like, pride and, like, utter disgust at uh, human beings who are less seen as lesser than them in light of that do you think that it is like plays a little strange to be making such use of the kids in cages like so explicitly like Mm. the do you think that like that juxtaposition of it is like profiting off of it kind of no i'm or just saying like using that for like its shock value or for like its moral impact but not having something to say about it really other than like hey that's a bad thing can't speak obviously fully because i'm not a part of the production team but i feel like it was well intentioned mm-hmm. in that they know their audience they know the type of people that are going to come see this movie sure and a lot of them are these like privileged i feel like maybe just like blatantly putting it in there and being like this is bad you are these people i don't know if people actually like pay attention to that but like seeing themselves in a mirror sometimes and media so mainstream so blatantly bad can be interesting first of all i think if the statement you're making about kids in cages is this is bad that's a valid and important statement second of all this is like a trope in the x-men movies more than five of these movies have featured young children in cages that's it is like such a thing in these movies yeah and like that this movie is diving into it i think there's also something to be said for making it textual you know Mm. like when we watch thor ragnarok we know that's a movie about immigrants and we get the message it's saying Mm -hmm. but like plenty of people probably watch that and think it's kind of fun and then go back to thinking whatever they thought about it before (laughs) right you know so the fact that this movie is like trying to make it textual is trying to say like this stuff is happening in the real world this is an extension of the real world Mm. this is a reality you're a few years away from this is what this group of people are to these people. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to the big class metaphor of this movie. We haven't talked about this, but like all the interesting things that are going on with Sander Rice, the bad guy of this film, uh-huh. played pretty excellently by the lovely Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. And how like his big villain speech at the end where he's like, it's not about killing mutants, it's about controlling them. Like It's not about killing another race, it's about 
how we can control this race and how we can use them to make our race better. Damn. Which is his thing yeah. about like how they're um, using suppressing the mutant gene and then like using it to bring in like other things in humans and to advance oh, yeah. human technology, just like blatantly exploiting others. And I feel like he doesn't even see it as a bad thing because he is like he is like the most educated, the most elite character in the entire movie by a mile. Yeah. Other than Charles, who isn't at his best in this film. Yeah. That stuff is as potent of a metaphor for what this whole series is about as anything we get anywhere else in the series. That's fair. Kid jumping off a building in that clip too much? That stuff happens. That's like a very real thing that is in the news, you know, fairly frequently it happens and it's good to talk about like mental health issues and just like it doesn't just affect older people. It affects, you know, 10, 11 year olds. And they also need help and abuse is real. The fact that all of this violence in the movie involves young children mm-hmm. is like something that gives you pause. But like we've seen the work of James Mangold. He's not like a Zack Snyder who's going to like just throw it in there to be shocking. You know, mm-hmm. like there's such a clear and horrible point being made. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost making you look at like the ugliness of what is around us right now Mm -hmm. and confronting that. And it is hard to watch because of this children, but I do think the ending of the film is the most hopeful aspect and makes me feel a little bit better about that stuff in general. Yeah. I would say it has the most hopeful ending of any X-Men movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Can we talk about this movie's ties to apocalypse? Yes. So what are the ties to apocalypse? The post credit scene of apocalypse where the Essex Corporation comes oh, right. in and collects Wolverine's DNA uh-huh. from when he escaped from the Weapon X program, it's supposed to be sort of inferred that oh. that's how they got his DNA, which they put into the corn syrup, Whoa. manipulated to suppress the mutant gene, and also to experiment on all these kids. Like That's how they made X-23 that's and crazy. X-24, uh, is because of that corporation who goes in and gets that stuff. Also... It's implied that Richard E. Grant's father is one of those workers who gets killed in that rampage we see. Oh, damn. Which directly relates to To this. Which is interesting because we knew that scene in Apocalypse was a reshoot. I don't think that they were like, hey, let's make it connect to Logan. you got to put this in there. Right. But I think they were like, hey, we're going back. And then they might have already been in production on Logan and been like, this is how you should tie it to that. And that would have been 46 years before in the timeline um yeah that would have been what 83 yeah and also uh lest we forget caliban caliban we meet young caliban in that movie and then he's here in a rare dramatic performance by Stephen merchant what did you guys think about caliban i thought it was good still unclear as to what caliban's powers are or how they are helpful or in what way they work how has that much to do with what he's doing in the other movie but that is what he's that's the only thing he's doing in apocalypse is also tracking mutants i thought he was just like their cool weird looking photographer no they come to him to find out where mutants are oh that's why apocalypse comes to him but how so he can tell them where the other sniffing people out or no i think he has a sense that's like professor x's cerebro but it's like that's his his whole thing and that's how they use him in this movie too it's just a track down where okay well like a homing beacon on them i mean i don't know like physically how he feels it but i know that is his power is knowing where other mutants are okay oh he's good 
I think he's really good in this. He also carries a lot of the emotional weight of like the first act of the movie. Yeah. First of all, it's just wild seeing that be Stephen Merchant, but like his performance there is so good. He's got a good scene in the kitchen with Logan. Yeah. I feel like to your point about them never giving Logan like a speech, everyone else gets an Oscar speech in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it it must be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Why use many words when few will do <laughs> okay what about our our friendly family who gets completely murked because they're a friendly family i forgot that they all died i remember that scene i remember the scene when what what is that x24 is that his name mm-hmm. mm. kills charles so i knew that was coming but i don't remember the family dying and that is like so heartbreaking because it's just this family why is this family being so nice to random strangers on the road it doesn't really make sense that they just like invited them over and be like hey dinner wait just stay the night just really nice well-meaning people who end up dead that's like my biggest gripe with like every gory movie ever is like i hate like innocent lot like people who don't need to be there who aren't involved getting in the crossfire and dying it's so sad to me yeah, and they were so kind. Like all of, like the little or the teenage boy giving Laura the iPod to listen to music, and she's probably never listened to music before, honestly, really. Wow. So I feel like that's just like such a it's a small act of kindness, but it probably meant the world to her, obviously, because she has it later on in the movie as well. Yeah, that part is the hardest for me to watch. It was almost unforgivable the first time like that's just i mean that's the stuff i'm talking about like the stuff that this movie puts you through and exacts from you like that is so difficult to watch i do want to say that the like professor's last scene i thought this the first time i watched it like it seems like a dream sequence that's what I thought the first time I watched mm. it. So when he gets killed, it didn't feel real. And then we watch it with people who hadn't seen it, this viewing, and they also felt that way. Like, it takes, like, for 15 minutes after it happens to be like, oh, this isn't, like, some weird dream sequence. And it's shot, like, so mm. eerily and dreamily. Yeah. Feels so much different from the rest of the movie. Yeah. I like that they chose to put x24 and a black wife beater and then logan and a white wife beater just in case we didn't know which is good and which is bad there was a point where logan just like takes off his shirt and i was like yeah probably like like i don't know why you're stripping down to the wife beater you must know a fight's coming no i that i literally thought he because they're fixing the water he didn't even hear anybody come up yet no, and he's i don't already, know like, why he took his shirt like he took his like button-up shirt it wasn't like I was like, is it wet? And then he like kind of like held it out. And I was like, it's not wet. Why is he just like, I'm going to take off. I wasn't complaining. However, I think it was wet. Was it? I didn't. It looked very wet to me. Maybe they were also like fixing a water drain. Maybe he was hot. Maybe just wanted that guy to see all his cool scars. Yeah. He was just like, look, dude, check it out. (laughs) He does also immediately after this, I just have to point out, snap a like, shotgun in half with his knee his leg and i gasped <laughs> that part is so good it's uh 10 out of 10 hugh jackman is old but he could get it he's be above my age limit but i'll make an exception wow yeah Big moves. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. i'll be contacting his people shortly <laughs> well this uh this 
<laughs> Dude, this is a great time to talk about what this what this movie was based on. This movie was based on the comic Old Man Logan. Because listen to this, my friends. In Old Man Logan, Hulk, Magneto, Doctor Doom, and Red Skull have divided the United States into four <laughs> territories. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. It gets worse. <laughs> Oh, Red Skull has declared himself president, which makes him only the second Nazi president of the United States. Logan has a wife and kids, mm-hmm. um, but has to pay the Hulk tax because the Hulk gang is like runs his part of the country that he lives in. <laughs> so he teams up with a blind Clint Barton, otherwise known to our listeners as Hawkeye, to rescue Ashley Barton. Presumably that's Hawkeye's daughter, uh, who's going to be a new Spider-Man. In the process, they get chased by a venom-infused dinosaur, because of course they do. Um, Throughout this whole thing, Logan never uses his claws because, and you learn this through flashbacks, back in the day, the night all the superheroes died, it was because Mysterio tricked Logan into killing them all Mm. by making him think they were intruders into the X-Mansion after the kids, but instead he killed all of them, the like yeah. all of the other X-Men and all the kids in the mansion. And then when he found out that he'd done such a thing, he like refused to ever use his claws again. So that's kind of a difference from this movie that has one of the X-Men kill all the X-Men, but it's the professor mm-hmm. um, in this. It would be Logan himself. When Hawkeye and Wolverine eventually get to the place they're going, do the thing they're supposed to do, they have this secret package. Well, it turns out the guys they were delivering the secret package to are not, in fact, freedom fighters, but S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. So the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents pop up and kill them both. But, of course, killing rarely takes on old Logan. So Logan wakes up in Red Skull's, like, I'm picturing, like, a velvet-lined trophy room. and yeah, the, then, guy, the McDuck mansion. Yeah, and then he <laughs> cuts off his head with Captain America's S.H.I.E.L.D., and fl- Wait, I'm sorry. He Logan cuts off Red Skull's head or Red Skull yes, cuts off? Yes, cuts off Red Skull's okay, head okay, okay. with Captain America's shield and then uses some of Iron Man's armor to fly back home. When he flies back home, <laughs> when he flies back home, he discovers that, and this is how they're described, the incestuous Hulk gang have killed his I his wife it. and family so then wolverine really does use his claws he's pissed now so he like he takes his claws out and he kills and these are their names oh no i'm scared <laughs> of the incestuous hulk hill people Bo, bobby joe charlie elrod eustace luke otis rufus and woody but then old Papa Hulk himself comes along and is like, presumably, you killed my grandchildren. And he presumes. Or a, is Hulk bad in this? Yeah, Hulk's real evil. Okay. And so then he kills Logan pretty quick and eats him. But then Logan heals inside of Hulk's stomach and bursts out, killing the Hulk. And then he also finds a little Hulk Jr. baby somewhere. It doesn't say where this Hulk Jr. baby comes from, so I'm mighty susp about that. But they get the little Hulk baby Jr. And Wolverine's like, me and this kid are going to go kill all the rest of the supervillains in the world now. And that, like, that's the end of like the classic run. I absolutely do not believe that is real. That cannot be real. <laughs> I remember when <laughs> they announced they were doing this movie, people were um, like, they can't do it. They don't have the Hulk. You could never do it right without the Hulk. Damn. So People like that story? 
Yeah, it's like one of like the highest regarded stories in comics. It's the same deal with the people who love the part where Luke Skywalker decides to eat a star. <laughs> like he goes mad with his force abilities and eats a star. That I have never heard of that in the movies. That's a little bit of the uh cultural context of the comic there. On the on the whole, would you say the adaptation was uh faithful? No. <laughs> I do want to see that though. Like weirdly, like I think it'd be but I think I only want to I don't know why it it really just like reminds me mentally of the McDuck like Scrooge McDuck. I want it in that like style of cartoon. Oh, yeah. I'd probably be really good. I feel like it'd be like cool. Like I don't want the live action version of it. And I I say that rarely cuz I don't I'm not the biggest cartoon person, but I want to see Scrooge McDuck style of that version. But uh I'm glad we got this version instead. Just before we move on, before we move on to the next thing, I on the violence in this movie. Mm-hmm. The violence in this movie is very violent. I know we've been like tracking this. I thought that it was more distasteful in Deadpool. I think it's more distasteful. Like after having watched this again, I think it's even worse than this. I don't know how that stacks up with like him dying at the end being like the big thing because there's so much death in the movie. So like that's like something that I was kind of. That's something I was thinking about in there. But we have in this movie, I believe, 79 wow. on-screen kills. Yeah. Wow. It's by far the most violent by like a good 30 deaths yeah. or something of, of any of the films. I really thought it was over 100. Like, it felt like everyone was dying. All the time. Every single second. Yeah. So many people get stabbed in the head in this movie. Yeah. They, the cl- That was the big thing was the claws like straight up through like the chin. Yeah. And... Oh my gosh, I was brutal. Yeah. yeah, I think that goes back to the James Mangold thing he said in the script. Like, it feels like there are so many more deaths because the violence is portrayed accurately mm-hmm. uh, mm. and realistically. Yeah. Like, and you feel the weight of those so much more. It definitely is harder to watch than Deadpool sure. in terms of the violence. I think that it's. I mean, I don't know. I think this violence has a point. So I think that it's more distasteful mm. in Deadpool. I feel like this is the type of stuff that you always say you like, where you're like, I if I there is violence on screen, I want it to be like horrible and depict the accuracy of what it is. That's and true. I think Deadpool is close to the thing that I like, which is stylized violence, but it feels so weird and off in that movie. Hmm. Like, it's not done in a cool enough way, and you're not sure who you're supposed to be rooting for, and then it's still so, like, grim and violent. Like, all of the constant beheadings in that movie. Like, and when they're just, like, a respite from hearing Ryan Reynolds do another one-liner ad nauseum. Um, The first time I watched this movie, Mm -hmm. my main thought about it was that it was about the cycle of violence. Okay. That it was mainly about violence. And I think that's because the violence, when you first watch it, is the most striking thing. Yeah. It's not something you're used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, in these movies or in any movies. I think upon watching it, I got way more of all the other stuff mm-hmm. that it's about. But I still think that that is like a big and interesting thing. That it's going for. I think that it is trying to show what a superhero movie would be like if it happened in reality. Okay. Like, I think this movie, in a lot of ways, is 
sort of like a response to the oversaturation of superhero movies. Mm. I mean, it's textual. It's there in that mangled clip we read. But like that he is showing you what the toll on a human body would be like if it went through the things that people go through in superhero movies. Hmm. I think in that same way where like Chronicle is kind of a movie about what if real people got superpowers. Right. This is like a movie that is about like what if superhero movies happened in real life. Yeah. You know? Huh. I think this movie also succeeds where Joker fails in terms of being like superhero movies are the thing that gets funded. So we're going to sneak a real movie into a superhero movie Uh like this movie does that so much more successfully than Joker manages to. I was really excited to see this movie in 2017 because I was like, this is the first it wasn't the first Deadpool was before it like R rated superhero movie. And I felt like I feel like the MCU just like fails so much in like. They kind of touch on it in Civil War about how, like, do these ends justify the means? Like, we're killing just, like, so many innocent civilians, but they don't, like, ever, like, touch on it. It's just, like, so, like, look at these heroes. They save the Earth, but I don't care about, like, the cleanup. Like, I mean, they touch on it. They have continued to touch on it in the MCU, but I feel like it's better done in this because it's just, like, this is gratuitous violence, and we never see that actually in the MCU. Or, you know, like the main, like Thor, Iron Man, those movies. You're not overwhelmed by the violence and how actually horrible the things that mm. these people are doing. You don't, you're never like, this is too much. I mean, like at points you are, but it's never so grossly what it would actually be like if these superheroes existed and were in our cities doing stuff. Talking about the continuity corner, we talked about the tie-ins with Apocalypse a little bit. Mm-hmm. Presumably, this movie preclu- uh, precludes any future movies involving Charles or involving Logan. Yeah. So, it circumvents the problem we were talking about last week, where it's hard to have stakes in these movies because we know all these characters live until the year 2023. Right. This movie like goes right past that. And says they're <laughs> all dead by 2029 and everyone else dies too. Yeah. Everyone dies in 2028. Yeah. In this... like heartbreaking now does that mean that's where everyone in the decades quadrology is headed yes i think so this is as late as we get in the timeline so does that mean that nothing else now has stakes yeah i mean that is what it means (laughs) that's really bleak this one makes me really sad about the continuity that's all i don't know are there any other continuity issues lots of things to get into not a lot of issues it's Interesting that this is only six years after Mm -hmm. that. I mean, it's viable, but like the most interesting thing to me is that they say that it's been 25 years since the last mutant was born. That means 2004. Yeah. Was the last time a mutant was born. So I guess none of those young mutants we saw in 2023 were over the age of 19. 19? I mean... You mean under the age yeah, of 19? Yeah, under the age of 19. I guess not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's... It seems far-fetched. It does seem far-fetched. We hear the professor talking about having humans in the school, too, so yeah. it's possible. We hear him using his name, James Howlett. Yes. Which oh. is a really cool callback to X-Men Origins Wolverine, yes. the most reviled movie in the series. It truly as is. As is the Animantium Bullet. Right. Um, and, of course, 
his name being James Howlett is not the thing that confused us so much in that right. movie. It was at what point <laughs> did he inexplicably turn to Logan? Uh, he also has a katana, which is a memorial to the Wolverine. A really interesting thing I found in this was that they mentioned the Statue of Liberty, which oh. means that it happened in this timeline too. Huh? How and when it happened? Like not as clear, hmm. but like the fact that that ended up being an inevitability in the new timeline was really interesting to me. Okay. I thought that when when they mentioned the Statue of Liberty, I, of course, thought of the first movie. But then I wasn't sure if they were talking about that or if they were talking about something else more recent in this timeline that had happened at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it could be. I mean, we don't know if it was the same event. Okay. We just know that that, that, that is something that happened. Can we talk about the similarities between this and the Wolverine a little bit? Yes, Because please. I think they're pretty interesting. I okay. mean, it's obviously Mangled coming back a different time. Mm-hmm. Like, the tone of this movie is so different. But that's another movie where he's doing a Western okay. about Wolverine being accompanied by a young female companion. True. Who is trying to, like, drag him back to life. That's another movie where he loses his healing ability mm-hmm. as a way to let you know the whole movie that it can that he can die right so yeah i think that stuff is interesting and where it deviates which is obviously the third act in a big Mm -hmm. way of this movie certainly gets like smaller and more personal in the third act yeah and i feel like the log line on that movie at the time was like it's good but it bungles the third act Uh uh-huh so I feel like he really had a chip on his shoulder coming yeah, back about that sure. one. And I feel like that's where a lot of this violent stuff comes from, too. That he was, like, so burned from having to have that, like, bad CGI yeah. samurai stuff. I mean, the violence in that is brutal, too. True. Like, the amount of impalings in it. Yeah. Like, I think that movie... I think this movie is leagues better than that one, but I think that movie is a lot closer to this one than people talk about. Oh, the other thing, in the continuity <laughs> corner, which is so cool, <laughs> which he admitted on Twitter after, is that there's the moment in The Wolverine where a mutant character, her mutant ability is to see when people dies, oh. uh, will die, their moment of death. And for most of the movie, she can't see Wolverines. And at a certain point, she says, I saw your death... You were lying there. There was blood everywhere. You were holding your heart in your hand. And that movie is also written and directed by James Mangold. And it's supposed to be like the culmination of that moment here where he dies bloodied, holding Laura Laura in his hand. Oh, my God. Which is God. just like yeah, heartbreaking is, is really uh, and an amazing bit of movie connection between these two. That is pretty incredible that makes me want to cry can we talk about the behind the scenes drama a little yes, bit yes please Ooh, what behind the scenes drama do we have give it to me yes, okay so mangled started working on a sequel in 2013 mm-hmm. after the wolverine uh but jackman held off on signing for it for a long time he was like i'm not coming back to do another one unless we can top the last one okay and so he like was like not even on the story he was like i'm waiting until i read a finished draft of the script that impresses me like not just you telling me the story so he held off for a long time on signing on damn he also had a big involvement in the story with this him and mangled worked very closely together mangled's inspirations obviously he was loosely adapting the old man logan he was really inspired by unforgiven as we Mm. mentioned and little miss sunshine Mm. we haven't even talked about laura yet so we have so much still to talk (laughs) about we should also talk about the trailer for this movie yeah which uses johnny cash's hurt which is i think like a big selling point like that like that trailer was so big and it's kind of like 
impossible to think about what this movie would have been without having that good of a trailer. I do want to talk about the trailer because yeah. I've se- again I've talked about my very very low knowledge of the X Men, but I saw the trailer and I was like, I have to see this movie. It like convinced me right away. I was like, I really want to see it. I think it looks great. I don't care that I don't really know anything about it. So I it sold me. Yeah, it sold a lot of people. Okay, I think trailers and movies are like totally separate things, totally separate arts. Right. Even this as a great movie could very easily have a bad trailer. Like I can so easily see the bad trailer for this right. movie in okay. my head. Yeah. And the fact that they like pulled out something that immediately told people like what it is and nailed that tone so much, I think is pretty impressive. I wanted to ask you guys as someone who's seen all of these movies so far and as someone who's seen very few of these movies, what do you think the reputation of this series would be now that it's done if there wasn't this movie? I just feel like I wouldn't care at all about them. Like this movie made me actually like have any type of feelings about this franchise. Genuinely, like I love Hugh Jackman. I think he's great. I like a lot of the actors in the series. I had no desire to watch any of the movies really because they didn't just didn't appeal to me and after watching this i was like oh there's like a chance i will someday in the future go back and watch these because i really loved this movie uh we'll see if that ever happens i think it would still be like a second rate superhero series with or without this movie i don't think this movie does i don't think this movie like is good enough to elevate the entire series on its own merits I also don't think, like, I don't think it's bad. I certainly don't think it's the worst movie in the series by, like, any stretch of the imagination. But I think, like, this series would just, like, be what it is. And, like, yeah, I think that, I mean, I totally agree. Like, it isn't enough to make people want to watch the other movies, Mm -hmm. but I think it did, like, fundamentally change the way people think about this and think about Hugh Jackman in this role. Okay. In a huge Uh, way. I also cannot tell you, almost everyone who I talk to about us doing the X Men. Mm-hmm. will say like i love logan or they'll say like wait till you get to logan they'll be like which one did you watch and i'll be like oh we just watched the wolverine they'll be like just wait till you get to logan like you're almost there like <laughs> people love this movie and it's so much in the cultural consciousness and i do think maybe unjustly mm-hmm. you know like this movie is a different tone uh-huh. and a different level of movie making yeah. than we've seen in the franchise so far <laughs> maybe it elevates it a little higher than it should um yeah. but i do feel like the reputation of this series was changed by this the other thing i forgot to mention the behind the scenes drama is that james mangold was writing a sequel called laura that was all about x23 Whoa. which got canceled in the disney merger that would be Dang. so cool because daphne keen in this oh, she's introduced in this movie um, she now plays Lyra Balacqua on the His Dark Materials on HBO, uh, which is in its second season. Uh, she's incredible in this. Speak on it, Kelly. Oh, I just like the first second I wrote badass. The like second scene she was in, just like immediately, just like taking no prisoners. She like I just can't. Her level of acting at such a young age, and like she doesn't speak for most of the movie. But she's able to convey things that, like, people need lines to convey normally, Mm, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I feel like even, like, trained professional actors have had rough times not portraying things. Like, it's all about body language, and hers is, like, absolutely phenomenal. It's incredible. She is unbelievable in this movie. (laughs) I mean, like, you can't 
it's like pitch perfect. It's every single thing. It's above and beyond. Like, and that's not giving her points for being a kid. Like, I want to be very clear about that. Like, that's not like she's a good kid actor. It's that, like, she plays yeah. this part better than you can imagine. In a movie where, as we've said, so much of it is the physical acting. Like, the stuff she does with it. And she was, like, we should mention 11 years old at the time they Damn. filmed this. Like, the stuff she does with it. And also the stuff she does of mirroring Wolverine's mannerisms. Yeah. And, like, how closely she looks like him in real life. Um and she's also so funny. Like she has such a range of emotions to play this whole movie. And the fact that she plays them off, pulls them off is incredible. I do. I don't know if you guys know the answer to this. Obviously she cannot be doing all of her own stunts, but do, is there like an 11 year old stunt double or is it just like a very small woman? I don't know the answer, but I do know there are a lot of shots of her stunts where you see her face, which means she really did those. I, I mean, I definitely believe that she would. Be, I mean, like, I feel like kids are so much more malleable and able to. I again, I'm. She's a phenomenal actress on her own credit, not just that she's young, but I think she'd be able to adapt to things much easier than adults would out of just like having like less in, uh, inhibitions. But she she really does like like half those people that I just said that got killed. Half the seventy nine people, probably a good thirty seven and a half or whatever uh of those people she kills those people it's it's not just wolverine doing the heavy lifting yeah he's he's got yeah she's so hardcore from the off she's also this bears noting this is a lone wolf and cub story Mm -hmm. which is like a very popular trope Mm -hmm. and she is a lot older and consequently less cute than the children normally are in these type of stories. True. It even sounds like in the original it was like a baby Hulkling, which is yeah. probably pretty cute and helpless. Probably. Obviously, I'm thinking of the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Sure. There's another Ugh. recent example. So she has kind of an uphill battle. This movie also does a clever thing where you don't realize it's that type of story until the last hour because there's a third player on their journey with them. Right. So it feels like Western, it feels like road trip, and then you're like, oh, it's all about them. Like, it's about a man and his daughter. And when they put that into sharp relief, the fact that she is still so cute and so funny and so Mm. lovable, despite being older and being a stone-cold killer, (laughs) is not for nothing. Yeah, she's a... Her her toe. Uh Her her feet knives. What are they called? Blades? Insane. It shook me. Uh, we should also talk about Patrick Stewart in this movie. Incredible. Heartbreaking. When like they first come together and he said, I always know who you are. I just sometimes don't always recognize you. Mm. And I that just like that line got me. His entire performance was heartbreaking and beautiful and very touching. Yeah. And that's another thing in this movie that is like so real and so hard to confront. Like the place this movie sends me to is very dark and I don't like to be there, which is why I don't want to watch it again. But like... Yeah, just, like, the reality and his performance in it is, like, just unbelievably good. And I'm glad, like, as much as we talk about Hugh Jackman, I'm glad that he had this send-off. Yeah. Because I think he also hasn't been, like, he's good in Days of Future Past, but he doesn't get, like, a moment to shine. Yeah. Where I feel like he's giving in, like, a great performance, you know? Also, both of them talk about, like, actors without ego. Like, actors willing to let themselves be Mm. seen, like in the worst of conditions and like sure. the least flattering. It's interesting because like he is playing that character so well, but that takes like so much control too to like play that amount of 
of like losing control takes like a great deal of like control mm. and like a very great deal of like physical acuity and it's like a testament to him like being a really old guy in real life yeah and still being able to act like that well in all of those different ways is like pretty cool it like brings to mind like other actors who as they get older are just like kind of phone it in who used to be like really good actors and that's not like that's not what the dude is doing in this. He's just so there for it. He also looks so adorable in the elevator when he puts on oh. his hat and he's wearing the little brown sweater. That's also reminded me a little bit of Eric, of his old friend Eric. Mm. It's a similar hat. Yeah. I feel like he doesn't even pass this play that many old man roles. Like even in Picard, he's still like mentor, action hero, you know? Yeah. I, I understand that this is definitely playing up for him still. Yeah. Aging up. But I think, like, the performance he gives is as good as anything else in the rest of his career. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I guess the only other major player we haven't talked about at all, correct me if I'm wrong, is Boyd Holbrook playing Draco Malfoy. Yeah. Who I didn't like on first viewing, but I loved this viewing. I I like his monologue at the beginning. The monologue is so good. Love this man. (laughs) So much. (laughs) Hang on. I have some notes. (laughs) I said 10 out of 10 accent, obsessed, what a villain. Mm. His accent, uh, I I don't even, I don't know what it is. It's the way he, uh, it's similar to me to uh, what Robert Pattinson was doing in The King. <laughs> uh, like a similar type of villain. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very charmed by both of them. I uh, <laughs> love him. He was so good. Just like a phenomenal acting. Uh, made me fall in love with his bad never mind yeah i think an actor who hasn't really gotten his due seeing this being like that's what that guy should pull off people should be using him left and right yeah i love the monologue at the beginning as you mentioned and i love like how much of a through line he is for the movie i love his death the hard thing with wolverine is that it's going to take a lot to believe that anyone could be a physical threat to him. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, maybe the only time we see that is Liev Schreiber putting on 40 pounds of muscle to play his opposite in right. Origins Wolverine. So I think, like, you're not going to you're not going to win by playing big and intimidating against Hugh Jackman. Like, And the fact that this guy still, like, goes toe-to-toe and gets so, like touchy-feely up in Hugh Jackman's face and you believe that there is like an intimidating factor in it and that he is like young and techie but not in like the Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor way right like I also think there's something there's a lot going on in this movie there is something big about the fact that he is a comic book fan like that he's such a fan Uh, of the X-Men and such a fan of superheroes yeah that's true that he's the one in the movie who is that's true well Kelly yes who would you say is the protagonist of this film called Logan? Um, I'm going to have to go with Logan. I could make an argument for Laura. Okay. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of both. I feel like they can both be protagonists. Can there be two protagonists? I feel like they trade off. I mean, they absolutely can, but we do like to pick one. Okay. Just I'm, for the arbitrary. I'm, I'm going to go with Logan. Um, he is the titular character. Not that... Y- being the titular character means you are the protagonist but it is really about his journey and like i mean his last line is like oh this is what it feels like i feel like that's kind of like the like bow on his journey his arc Mm -hmm. 
obviously through many movies before this, but specifically in this one. And it's all about his journey to help out another human, love another human. It's beautiful. What does he want? God, that's... I don't think he knows. (laughs) In the last hour, it's to protect Laura. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's very clear in the last... Like, that is crystal clear. Yeah. Oh, there's also something interesting in this movie as, like, kind of another take on his role in the first movie we saw him in 17 years ago like about his relationship with rogue kind of being reflected in his relationship with x23 here okay well he does have a clear he does have a clear motivation before that which is to get the professor yeah get the professor get the boat get the MacGuffin, and go like keep the professor safe from everyone else yeah i feel like his goal is to keep the professor safe and then as we know when any character dies, every character's motivation changes. Right. And then it becomes to protect Laura. Yes. That's sure. less clean cut than than we like on this podcast. But yeah. I think that is at least like the story that it's telling. There's a lot of talk in the Wolverine about him wanting to die. I was just going to say that I think that he might actually want to die at the beginning of this one. Uh, pretty heartbreakingly, the professor says, you're waiting on me to die. Yeah. That he's been kind of like burdened with the professor and with the knowledge about what the professor did i think that is so like what's so heartbreaking is that the professor doesn't know why he's being held and he like mentions it all the time throughout and wolverine is like being so safe and wolverine Mm -hmm. takes the accusations that he's the one who did it and he turns the radio off so he won't hear yeah yeah and then it's like only in his death moment where Mm -hmm. professor x says like i don't deserve it like i remember what i did that got me but yeah do you guys think that he is like ready to die in this movie? Yes, I literally, I do think he literally is like I have to wait, stay around until Charles dies, and when that happens, I don't want to be here anymore. But he, I think that he's like, if I die right now, like what is going to happen to Charles? What's going to happen to Caliban? I mean, I feel like Cal, you know, just like he's kind of caretaking for both Caliban and Charles at this point. I don't know. And that, I mean, I think that's why he's drinking, well, to cover pain, both like emotional and physical pain at this point, being like, if I drink, it'll go by faster. Like, at least mm-hmm. I have something to like drown my sorrows in and then like eventually be able to shoot myself in the head. Mm. Sorry, that was so Damn. graphic. Really getting into the. Uh, I mean, that's, that's like, I, mean, that's, I do agree yeah. that's what he's, what he's trying to do. He's carrying around the silver bullet. They yeah. can do it. Yeah. Well, I think that Wolverine is the protagonist too. <laughs> so, <laughs> lots of controversy there. Well, wait. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? It does. It passes it early on in a scene between um, the nurse who has been taking care of Laura uh-huh. and a hotel clerk. Uh-huh. That being said. This movie is far, there's far less gender parody than there was in Mangold's last movie, The Mm -hmm. Wolverine, which was kind of the shining example of female characters in this series so far. And a good amount of them in Apocalypse, which we just watched. Mm. Yeah, I mean, not great. This is a very male, very masculine movie. Almost all of the characters are. There are far, far less characters than we're used to seeing Mm. in these types of movies. But only one major female character mm-hmm. of the six characters in this movie. Yeah. Kelly. Yes. Got a little question for you that we Ooh. like to ask all of our guests. Yes. Listener will be familiar with it by now. 
Okay. Who is your most valuable player other than Wolverine? Your MVP OTW. Laura. Laura? Laura. MVP for sure. Again, you said half those deaths. (laughs) Not that it's about the deaths, but uh, they would have died much sooner if it was not for Laura. She did not die, but you know what I'm saying. I, I feel you. Wade, MVP OTW? Oh, yeah, it's pretty tough. Laura is maybe just straight up the best performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the top two. Um, but since she's taken, I want to say that I think all of like, hold on, can, can I count them off? Mm. There's Logan, mm. there's the professor, mm. there's Laura, there's Caliban, there's Boyd Holbrook, and there's Richard E. Grant. So there are six, I would say there's six characters in this movie. Am I forgetting anyone? Um, you're in forgetting the like, family. Yeah. Who dies. I mean, they can't be MVPs. Those they are were like, in it for four scenes. Uh, well, we've had MVPs in it for far less. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to find some good acting in this movie. <laughs> they are the minor characters that are in it the most. It is Patrick Stewart, and I have to give it to him. I was considering gaming the system because I thought you would pick Patrick Stewart if I didn't, and I could perhaps give it to someone who might be less appreciated for this role. But he's like, those lead three are so are so incredible. We already talked a lot about his performance, but I think the little moments in there, the moments of levity, like the Taco Bell commercial he does, and then like all of the reverence he has for Wolverine and the X-Men, I'm like really touched by their relationship in this movie and all the scenes of Wolverine carrying him just mm. tear my heartstrings. Emmett, who's your MVP OTW? Well... I was going to say that it's Hugh Jackman as X24 <laughs> because I do think that he's really he's the loophole. I do think he's really good as that. That's fair. I guess I'm going to go with Boyd Holbrook. Mm-hmm. No, you hot. know what? No. I'm going yeah. with um the nurse who escapes oh, with really? yeah, who escapes with uh Daphne Keene in the beginning mm-hmm. because she does really well with stuff that is not particularly rewarding. Yeah. Um, but like makes you care about both her and about the kid early on. So I'm going to go with her. And she's also like help propels like the plot into happening. I mean, she literally gave up and, her life to help Laura live. And she edited that whole video on she her phone. Did. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I spent a while thinking about that. And she edited that whole video. Like she edited a video where she knew she was going to die, but she was like I need to make it really clear with the voiceovers and like with the like the footage like what's what like over here. I feel like she can edit a video better than I can. I don't know I have, what her, her skill sets is supposed should, to be in this movie. <laughs> I feel like have better editing skills i don't know i'm on tiktok enough for that oh can the listeners find you on tiktok no absolutely not <laughs> yeah that was uh elizabeth rodriguez from elizabeth. oranges of the new black oh fantastic playing gabriella lopez elizabeth rodriguez well kelly i was being somewhat serious is there anywhere else the listeners can find you on um, are there any current plugs or projects you would like to uh plug or project um you can always Venmo me uh, money to pay my rent. That's a project I'm very passionate about. Um, <laughs> my cash app is... Oh, no. My Venmo is Kelly Rebecca 7 for real. Um, 
We've also- literally <laughs> never had someone straight up solicit money on this. Show. Yeah, we're sorry we aren't paying you enough to be on this podcast. No, oh you're good. Um, I have uh, almost no endeavors currently because the world is uh, in a pandemic. So, you know. But if you want to follow um, me on Instagram, you can find me also at KellyRebecca7 or on Twitter at KellyRebLee. I don't use either of those that often, but uh, my Venmo, I do use daily. (laughs) So everybody, uh, if you have any comments this week, instead of doing that, if you just please contribute... (laughs) Five dollars, even twenty dollars isn't too much. Um, even a hundred dollars isn't too much. We now know why it has been Kelly's long-standing dream to come on a podcast. I love soliciting for money. Um, well, fantastic! Also, I didn't like, realize I'll... it was that easy. We should have been asking for money every <laughs> single episode. Um, I'll also like solicit for a date if you're cute. And above the age of 21, and a male. Hello. (laughs) Okay. She's our friend. Her name is Kelly. Uh, She's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, this is is an audio-only format, so should we describe Kelly? Yeah. Um, She has purple skin. (laughs) She's eight feet tall. Mm -hmm. She has 12 arms. It's fun. You can do a lot with them. I'm speechless. Okay. See, you, you just... Okay. <laughs> okay, Kelly. Uh, any last thoughts on, on the James Mangold Insta classic, um, uh, Logan? It did really touch me. Uh, it was sweet. It was uh, all my cowboy Western dreams. Thank you both so much for letting me come on the pod. And uh, I like just chit chat with you boys all day. Wade, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I want to say that I was not the Logan guy ever. Like, Uh, this was not... I, like, really have such a newfound appreciation for this movie and the things it's doing. I think it's unfortunately prescient, and I feel mm. like three years on, the things that it's engaging with hit even mm. so much harder than they did at the time. True. Um, I think it's going to age really well, too, because of the way they shot it and the things it's about. Mm. Just a couple quick things. One of my favorite things in any movie is like the little subtext plot lines. Mm -hmm. The history of Professor X is almost like, I love that they don't spell it out for you, but what is, is like the corn syrup, like that being such a big part of this movie that you have to follow the breadcrumbs for, I think is so cool. And how they like used Wolverine's DNA to like extract the mutant gene um and that's why like because they've been in the corn syrup and everyone has been eating it there have been no mutant babies born oh whoa and that we see like the first thing that um laura does is that she's eating the like kellogg's branded cornflakes which have it in it and the farmers talk about how like they're the only ones who haven't been bought out by the big company they're the only ones who are using like the real original corn that's and they talk about like how nobody else is like using that stuff. That is wild. That's all going on. Yeah, that's I like no clue. A big part of this movie, but again, that's like something that you don't have to know. Like that's something okay. that's there if you yeah, want to find yeah, it. Yeah. And I love that kind of storytelling. Okay, that's pretty dope. 
also the way that's all weaved into Apocalypse, which I didn't realize before, is really cool. Two, uh, two very quick last things. I like that there is so much bad fictional pop music in this. I love that it's not real pop music we hear, but it is like what pop music might be in 2029, and it's so horrible. Hmm. And I also love... I believe it. <laughs> I also love that Charles calls them pictures. Well, I saw this picture when I was a boy. Emmett, uh, final thoughts on Logan. It's a movie that does a pretty good job at convincing itself and everybody who's like watching it that it's a good movie. I'm still like not sold that the violence is worth it. Like that's my mm. main gripe. It's not that I'm like saying this isn't well made or like any of those those things that I disagree with, but I like don't think it's worth just like the exhaustion and like the misery of watching it. Mm. I don't think it has enough to say to like make it worth it and that's kind of where I land on it. Um <laughs> yeah, I think that's way closer to where i fell after my first viewing yeah which is why i was very skeptical going into this one more closely related to deadpool than i think in feeling that i'm left with about like nothing matters like like that's (laughs) what both of those movies make me feel like Hmm. but deadpool does it in a way where sometimes i laugh do you like deadpool more than you like this movie yes I would like oh I would watch God. Deadpool again before I would watch this again. I wouldn't watch either of them again anytime soon if like I had a choice in the matter. But yeah. We can no longer be friends. Next week, come back, please. <laughs> it's Deadpool 2. Can't wait to hear Emmett's five-star glowing review of Deadpool 2. The best movie in the, the series, he says. The series. I have not seen it yet. I'm very excited that the last three I have not seen. Wade, I know we're getting close to that territory for you. Yeah, Deadpool 2 is the last movie in this series I watched. It is, you know, we talked about it with The Last Stand, but Deadpool is the one that made me follow through, where I was like, I will not ever watch one of these movies again. (laughs) Incredible. It might be. I mean, wouldn't it be wild if we watched Deadpool 2 and we're like, like, we (laughs) will not. We've dedicated an entire podcast to doing franchises. We're not finishing this one. I mean, I... (laughs) Regret this every day, but I agreed to do X-Men having that feeling going into it. So we will finish them because I didn't come this far to stop at the same place. Yeah. We could just stop now. Quit while we're ahead. No. No, I can't. Quit after doing the greatest Marvel film ever made, ever. I can't. That's a conversation you're not ready to have. (laughs) I can't wait to hear your glowing review of Deadpool 2 next week. I can't wait for your ranking to be Deadpool 2, Deadpool Apocalypse. (laughs) That is the chaotic energy of you that well it's apocalypse first before anything but but okay <laughs> okay all right well uh stay frosted cinema bums is a production of dkg podcast it is created and produced by wade lawrence holloman and me emmett temple wade also edits and mixes this podcast our theme music is by zane holloman who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by autumn beckner our social media is managed by laura bennett If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.